Buongiorno, and welcome to the Global Podcast, where we keep you up to date on the latest trends and insights on diplomacy and international development. I'm your host, Jesu Antonio Baez, Director of Pax Tecum Global Consultancy, based here in London, which produces this series. In this podcast, I sit down with thought leaders, diplomats, and experts on the field, as well as provide analysis from our own team at Pax to talk more about the need for diplomacy in international development in order to foster political will around greater social impact and good. So grab your headphones and let's get on with the show. On today's episode of the Global Podcast, we're going to be inaugurating the first of a few episodes around sustainable development in the United States and why it is needed actually more than ever. We will be exploring topics that are fundamental to tackle in order to ensure not only a sustainable future for the most powerful nation in the world, but also greater social impact for its citizens and residents, which recent years have been demonstrating that things aren't so rosy as one may think. Uh, within the United States of America. On today's episode, we're going to be discussing the sex trade in the United States and how this issue is fueling greater developmental challenges for the country. Joining us is award-winning American journalist Noor Taguri, who is also the producer of the acclaimed Sold in America documentary, which focuses on the sex trade within the United States. Also, fair warning to all, given that we are still in lockdown in the UK, one is still recording from my own home, so occasional noises, I hope it just gives you a little bit tap into one's personal life. So thank you, Noor, and thank you for coming on the Global Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, it's an absolute pleasure, and I'm excited equally to talk about this. I also do recommend everyone who is listening to, if you haven't seen it already, to watch Sold in America. Um, I highly recommend it. It it was absolutely phenomenal. So I just have to put that out there, that it was absolutely an extraordinary piece of work, which is leading me to the first question, actually, is what led you to produce this documentary? Wow, well, thank you so much for those kind words. The documentary initially started out as one where we would just report on sex trafficking in the U.S. I have always been very passionate about this topic since I was about 12 or 13 years old. I had experienced my first instance of sexual violence by a stranger when I was 12. And then I, like every, you know, young teenager did back in the day, was watching Oprah with my mother and... She brought on a couple of guests, Nicholas Kristoff and Cheryl Wu Dunn, who wrote this book called Half the Sky. Half the Sky was about sex trafficking in Asia, in different countries in Asia. And I just thought it was absolutely horrifying. I could never imagine that, you know, people were being exploited in this way. And so I thought, you know, what I went through was so traumatizing. I can't even imagine what these people are going through. So it became something that, you know, I wanted to use my experience as a way to advocate for others who have gone through different experiences on the sexual violence spectrum. So I wrote papers. It was the first story I ever reported on when I first got into television, and it was a commitment that I wanted to make. I thought I was an expert. I thought I knew a lot about this topic. But once I started reporting for the documentary and the podcast, there's a a podcast 
spinoff that um, goes a lot deeper into this industry. I realized very quickly that it was impossible to tell this story on sex trafficking in the U.S. without talking about the entire sex trade in the U.S. And it was not only shocking to realize and learn about this space in the United States and the way that the government treats this space or the way that we treat this space as, as human beings or whatever it is, but it was also whenever I was sharing that I was reporting on this topic, the first thing that people would say to me is, oh, what country? And my response would be the United States. And the grim look on their face of horror was extraordinary because I think so many Americans think that things like this don't happen to people like us. And we don't have that kind of problem. That's a very uh, foreign problem. And that was the, the intention was to really highlight that, you know, even I was shocked when I realized that this was something that was happening here. But the more you learn about it, the more you realize you can't really look away. But here's the thing. There's a huge difference between sex trafficking and the exploitation of force, fraud, or coercion's involvement in, in uh, the payment of sex and consensual sex work and survival sex and legalized prostitution. And that was the importance of doing this story because I realized that the laws that were in place to quote unquote protect people from sex trafficking were also harming people who chose to do this work consensually. And oftentimes those who are doing, engaging in sex work were not, almost all the time actually, were not involved in the creating of laws that would impact them directly, oftentimes costing them their lives. So the importance of this story and telling this story was to bring the nuance in this space and to really have people challenge their thoughts, but also to realize that the exploitation of people in regards to sex trafficking is a result of a broken system. It is not a problem that stands on its own. And that was really the biggest realization and the biggest lesson to learn because we can talk about trying to alleviate trafficking all we want, but we're not actually going to get to the root of the problem until we talk about things like youth homelessness or homelessness in general or the broken foster care system in America or the opioid addiction and so on and so forth. Precisely, and that is the most unique aspect about this documentary because it does really go into deep and it shows how layered this issue is, almost like an onion or like a Russian puppet, that there's a layer after layer after layer. And in your documentary, you know, you mm. begin with, you know, legalized prostitution in Las Vegas, then it goes on to the streets of DC, and then it goes on and on, and it starts to find really deep and, and many times extremely dark aspects of, of this trade. But it does go back to that key root is what you've indicated, that it is indicating a broken system. And thus, that's why we're highlighting this on this episode, but obviously it is extremely uh, uh, multifaceted. Uh, what was the mm -hmm. most surprising thing that you uncovered about this X-Trade? Because you indicated that you had studied this before, you'd really you'd done research on because of, of, of a sad personal experience. But what was the most surprising thing you realized that is not intuitively understood about this X-Trade in the United States? I think the most surprising thing that still surprises me until now, I would say in general, the most surprising thing was that if we were to fix 
the homelessness crisis that we have in America, that would alleviate so much of the exploitation that we're seeing and the foster care system, of course. That isn't shocking to me anymore because it's kind of like a light bulb moment or aha moment where you just think, of course, obviously, that makes so much sense. Why didn't we think of this before? However, the thing that I think is the most shocking is how laws are consistently made for a group of people when those group of people's voices are not really considered and their experiences are not considered in the making of those laws. So I'm I'm talking about sex workers and the, and the work around sex work and sex trafficking because those typically get lumped in together. And the variety of perspectives, even from sex workers themselves on what the laws should be. A lot of people vary on whether or not we should decriminalize sex work the same way so many states have decriminalized marijuana or if we should legalize it, which would mean regulating it, which oftentimes ends up in alienating people who would be able to who who would typically engage in this but wouldn't be able to because they couldn't afford you know the business license or have a record or whatever it is that might prevent them from doing this under a regulation so it was really interesting to me because i thought wouldn't people want this legalized wouldn't sex workers want this legalized but you know there's a there's privilege in that perspective and I don't have the answer on what the better, better suggestion is. I think that's something that you would have to ask a sex worker themselves or a group of them and, and see the varying uh, opinions for yourself. But I think that it was really that we have these laws that are bipartisan, meaning Democrats and Republicans both vote for them because obviously if you're putting a law in place that you know prevents young people or people in general from being sexually exploited, it's a no brainer but the intricacies in these laws are actually impacting other people. And I think the thing that was shocking to me was something that I thought was so obvious for everyone to get on board, but yet we are never doing enough to get past the surface. We're never doing enough to get down into the root of these situations and who they're affecting. I always ask myself when I'm reporting on a story, how is the way that I cover this story going to impact the people that I'm talking about? And I realized that wasn't a question that was coming up by lawmakers. How is the way that we put in these laws into place going to impact everybody who's involved? And that wasn't something that um, we were really looking at. And the other thing was really, there's a huge level of shame that plays a role in this entire situation. Whether it is the shame that we have around talking about sex in our country and our culture and talking about sex work in general, how we view people who engage in this work or choose this line of work, and also how we view the people who purchase sex. That is uh, even more of a gray area because of course there are situations and people who are uh, purchasing sex from minors. We have the Matt Gates situation, the congressman right now who is under fire for potentially sex trafficking. Yes. But we also have uh, people who I remember when I was at the brothel in Nevada, which another thing I found out while I was reporting was that prostitution is not legal in Las Vegas, even though a lot of people think it is. It's actually only legalized in I think about 18 counties outside of Vegas because of a certain amount of population. It's these very small towns. And I remember when I was talking to one of the women who worked in the brothel, she said that the you know one of her regular customers was 
a disabled man whose family would bring him in every week and they had this like companionship in this relationship that there was of course money that was exchanged but it was something it was filling this void that this person needed and so there's so much nuance in these situations i think when you're talking about relationships and sex and money in general we really have to realize that it's not black and white and that it, when we have this savior complex, we're trying to fix something that is not something that's happened, like that we're a part of or that we're in the community. I mean, we are all we are all a part of what's happening because we all engage in this oppressive system, essentially. But when we are not communicating with the people who are directly involved, we are harming so many people. Precisely. And that is something that is the key issue when it comes to anything that has the developmental or the AKA humanitarian aspect that one forgets the nuances and also one forgets actually the impact of the actual beneficiaries and in fact your response is only reminding me as well too that it's even more nuanced even beyond from what you covered as well too there's just so many facets to really to get into but speaking of one of the nuances that were the most poignant were the was, was precisely the one you were mentioning, which is the issue around homelessness. I mean, your documentary yes. touches the, around the quagmire for homeless people, particularly of the LGBTQ plus community who work within the sex trade. Yes, and for, exactly. And for some, uh, you know, for lack of other option, as highlighted in the case of one of the subjects you touched on in D.C., it seems that they have no choice but to turn to sex work. Um, but then again, there there are legislations in place that do not protect these workers uh, mm -hmm. accordingly. And there seems to be that issue around the legalization of, 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 of that as well, too, as you highlighted when there was also the policy forum that was taking place. I wanted to ask, what are the potential developmental benefits, however, that could occur? with legislation uh, uh, around protection for sex workers or even legal, greater legalization of prostitution? What could be the beneficial? Let's say there is a policymaker listening in um, mm. that, that you noticed that could help safeguard, particularly for, for the vulnerable sex workers. Wow. Well, the benefits of passing legislation that would protect sex workers is endless, really. You're protecting a, a vulnerable and marginalized population, mostly marginalized population. Most, pe most people who are engaging in sex work uh, are part of these sub-communities. You're also having eyes and ears on the ground and, and building relationships with people who might come across sex trafficking that's happening and have an outlet to share. What is the incentive if you know that you're just going to go, you're just going to get in trouble by the law? I mean, so many people, including in the people that I've interviewed, that I interviewed and sold in America, had their lives severely threatened physically and almost died, but still refused to go to the hospital because they knew they would get in trouble. So you are protecting people, you're letting people know that you know, this is a very intimate industry. So their clients cannot be engaging in this violence. And if they do, there will be consequences. You're also giving space for so many people who, you know, for example, the trans community who we spoke with some members of in the documentary and Leah Munaris, who I was talking to or I interviewed in the documentary, she was an art teacher and she was educated in art and that was her passion that she is still an artist but this became a means of survival because she was fired for who she was at school and this was the only job that she could do and so and it also 
hopefully would get people's records expunged for solicitation or whatever it is. I remember Leah telling me about a friend of hers who was trying, who wanted to be, be an Uber driver and two weeks into being an Uber driver was fired because they her background check had come back and she had a solicitation uh, charge on her record and she was trying to leave the industry because there are several people who, this is not what they wanna do forever, they're just trying to make ends meet. And uh, she wasn't able to, so she had to go back to sex work when that wasn't what she wanted to do. So we're giving people an opportunity and we're building safer spaces with our community. We should be protecting anyone who is trying to survive and not harming people. And that is what you get with this situation. And if you need further convincing or you need further insight, reach out and talk to the sex workers in your community. Be the person that they can use as a resource that they can reach out to that you that they that they know will at least give a listening ear and not cause trouble and not get them in trouble because they shouldn't be one. And also you have bigger fish to fry. Bigger fish to fry, but also it's it's a really form of disempowerment as well too. It's a consistent condemnation and it goes back to what you said in regards to the United States' history or our country's history. I mean, I'm also an American citizen as well. So our country's history in regards to this puritanical notion towards sex and yes. whatnot and then this condemnation that almost as if, if the, the horrible old saying, I, I don't like much, saying it much, but it, it's almost as if they're tattooing it to everybody. You know, once a whore, always a whore. Again, I deplore that saying, but it's almost they're forcing that on to everyone which is completely unfair given multiple circumstances that one can face and it could be the only even if that is what people choose to do there should still should not be the shame that's attached to it i mean i i interviewed when we were for the podcast uh someone who there was a an advocacy day of sex workers who were petitioning people in congress and one of the people that i spoke to worked for of one of the biggest tech companies in the entire world, I won't say who, and she was consistently harassed by the men in the, in her workspace, and she just couldn't take it anymore. She ended up trying out sex work and actually like liked it and consistently, she, that's what she does for a living, and she said to me, you know, the people that I work with, her clients in this space, are so respectful of her and and she's built this trust with them and they're so like kind to her and they have this relationship and she was like you guys want to talk about you know being assaulted and harassed and all of this stuff that was happening in my corporate job and she left her corporate job because of the misogyny that was happening and the and the harm that was happening to engage in something that she felt was was taking her power back Exactly. It's a choice. And I appreciate how in the beginning of the documentary, you, you showcase those who decide to engage in sex work out of pure choice and to show that it is it is the job of their choice and it's it's theirs and the need to respect that decision making as well. Um, I mean, one could talk consistently around that particular subject, but I do want to go back to uh, what you've indicated around the fact that there is a broken system at place within the United States and particularly discussing around the foster care program. In fact, your reporting uncovered how uh, even at the National Center for Exploited Children reported that 88% of cases of likely sex trafficked children were mainly of youths who were previously in foster care. So your reporting dives in deep in regards to how, sadly, the foster care system is somewhat becoming 
a breeding ground, not not completely, but it, it, it's 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 allowing that environment to become one. That I wanted to know if you could speak briefly about the gaps you noticed, um, but at the same token, what would be the challenges of these gaps uh, to really to, to tackling these gaps for the country at large? Mm. Well, first of all, it's just such a huge lack of resources. I mean, the people who are in the foster care system are are very heavily neglected by our government. We have such a strain on resources and people who are engaging and working in the foster care system to try to protect these kids. But here's the thing. The pe- oftentimes the people who actually really love what they do and care about this job experience burnout within a couple of years because it's so intense and they have such a huge load on their plate because there's not enough people who are working in this position. There are also punishments for kids in foster care that prevent them from being able to seek help. So one of the people that I interviewed who was in the foster care system, you can get arrested for skipping school too much. And she was being trafficked. She, one, didn't even know who her point person was because it kept changing so often. And two, realized she can't come forward about anything because she's skipped school so much and she doesn't want to get arrested. So there, is, there isn't this um, safety net that we would think that there would be. There's also not enough checking in with the families and foster care is a very it's a hard thing to to talk about and to really dig into because there are so many cases where foster families are either aware of what's happening or part of just part of the neglect and it's, it's, it's a really tough situation, but you have so many young people who are out here on their own. And so it even begs a question with survival sex that young people engage in so that they can get food or they can get a roof over their head or they can feel safe for a lot of these people who are facilitating the exploitation of these young people. They groom them and they let them know that they're the only person who loves and cares about them. And that is their experience because while they're engaging in this severe exploitation, they're still the ones who like are taking care of them. And that was what one of the people that I interviewed was talking about. And she said, you know, I didn't even know that I was being trafficked. I just thought this was life. I remember that part of the documentary and that I found myself gaping when I was listening to it. And it was even more heart crunching. And I think that's the thing about your documentary. It really goes into the soul of these and the various nuances that really allows one to ask oneself, okay, what can we do to fix this? I mean, that that's also what also prompted me to, to, to reach out to you to, to talk about this so mm. our listeners can somewhat feel inspired in regards to what they can potentially do. But facing towards our listeners and, and also being cognizant that we're, that, that, that we're approaching the, towards the end of the episode, our listeners at the Global Podcast are also leaders of social enterprises, of businesses that also focus on greater sustainable development. Many of them take part in policymaking. Many of them are also policymakers themselves. Um, this is clearly a huge issue in greater development aspects for the United States. Um, it's particularly from safeguarding the homeless, safeguarding those in the sex trade who are extremely vulnerable, but most importantly, safeguarding children from vulnerable circumstances. Uh, from what you've seen, um, 
Are there ways for businesses and leaders in the private sector to perhaps become an agent of change in this? Uh, are there any opportunities that you see that can arise, or is it solely mainly for policymakers and advocacy group? Is there an opportunity for others who would watch your documentary or see your reporting and equally feel compelled to 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 do something? Is there an opportunity for that? Absolutely. I mean this. This requires all of us to be involved. Uh, my family and I, we've had a foundation since I was 12 years old called ICU Foundation where we work to alleviate local homelessness. Um, and that's something that we do directly in our community with the community members that we have. And whether that be winter care packages or grocery gift cards or whatever it is, my advice is always look towards your own community, your local community and ask the people who are doing this work on the ground, how you can be of service, whether that's monetary, time, connecting people, helping build shelters, whatever it is, you you have a role to play. And I encourage you, if this is something that makes you feel a type of way, to act on that role and to engage in that role because we are all a part of the problem. And this isn't to point fingers and say you owe and have a responsibility to fix this. No, it's just a reminder that there's a bigger system at play and that we need to be building trust with our community members. We need to be advocating for those who are marginalized and those and understanding where people come from. Really take a look at the lens that you view the world through and how you perceive people. Are you judging people based on your own experience or are you taking a moment to step into their shoes and have great empathy for what they've gone through and listen to them for what they need because you might think what they need is x y and z but you have to ask them we are not people's saviors we are just at their service that's the important reminder is that this is at service and there's multiple ways in one can service and that's also for what you've done in regards to demonstrating this issue and one of the key messages that i was left with that i'm reminded to share with others is the fact that just as you said in the beginning, how what inspired you to do this documentary, it's how one doesn't think of it taking place in the United States. And when one thinks of uh, someone who is sexually exploited, it seems to be an image of uh, somebody who came from a good background that's, let's say, stolen, and almost they think of that, the, those mm -hmm. Hollywood movies taken and whatnot, uh, yep. which leads to this fictitious um, circumstance. But when clearly it can be, it's mainly uh, minorities and it's also U.S. citizens and it's more intrinsic than one can, can realize. My final question for you is for the policymakers who, whether they are in Congress, or whether they are local or whether they are the advocacy workers, for those who still seem to believe that it is a foreign aspect. And I say this because I had a discussion with a close contact of mine who still who works within government, who still doesn't quite grasp that this is something taking place uh, at large in the U.S. until I, I forwarded your documentary, interestingly enough. What is your mm. message for them uh, to help understanding how the issue of sex trade in the U.S. is detrimental to the U.S.'s own development and growth, both socially and economically? Mm. Well, thank you for forwarding the documentary. I would take a look at the documentary, take a look at the podcast, or take a listen to the podcast, Sold in America, to get an idea. We present the data. We do, you know, from the ground up investigation, reporting on it. But not only is it taking place in, in the United States, but it's taking place in your community. And that's the problem, is that you have to keep a lookout for those in your community. Sex trafficking is not this black and white 
situation where you have this young person who's tied to a like a chained to a window or whatever it is and left with no food and blah, blah blah those situations happen sure but the majority of the time it's a lot more subliminal than we think and we have to open our eyes to it because anybody that you know and love it could happen to them and we in it and we need to educate people especially and young people about this so that they know one of the one of the listeners that i had on the podcast of sold in america messaged me and said i did not know i was being trafficked until i listened to this podcast that to me i told i remember i told my team like if she was the only person who ever listened to this it was worth it because sometimes we just not only do we have to educate ourselves but we have to educate others because you never know who is going through that there are time, there are situations where someone's being trafficked by like outside of their home when they're attending school from an older classmate whatever it is it is so nuanced whatever situation and picture that you've painted in your head about sex trafficking is not the only one there are countless and it is our responsibility to make sure not only do we have the resources in place for people to have a secure safety net especially if they are experiencing addiction homelessness they are in the foster care system, whatever it is, and giving people the tools and the language to understand that this type of exploitation that involves force, fraud, and coercion is not okay. Well, Nur Taguri, thank you very much for this. You've left more than food for thought. I hopefully, as your documentary had opened the eyes for those who've watched it, hopefully this episode will equally open the ears uh, of those influential policymakers and those who work on the field to take notice of that. Thank you very much for your time, and thank you for coming on the Global Podcast. Thank you so much. Have a great day. That brings us to the end of this edition of the Global Podcast. I'm Jesu Antonio Baez, Director of Pax Tech and Global Consultancy, which produces this series. Please do check out our website at www.paxtechandglobal.org. That's P-A-X-T-E-C-U-M-G-L-O-B-A-L.org to discover more about our work. You can also follow this podcast and the work of PAX on both Twitter and LinkedIn. And if you like this podcast, please don't forget to rate, review, and of course subscribe on both Spotify and Apple Podcast. Join us next week for another edition, and until next time, grazie e ci sentiamo presto. Ciao!